This is Keep It 100, a podcast from Spotswood Creative that is designed to keep it real and honest about worship practices in the 21st century. We want to help you work through those issues like choosing worship songs, leading as a volunteer, worship stereotypes, worship conflicts, and figuring out if the theology is right in that song you just love or if you should just put it away. What is going on, everybody? It has been a very, 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 very long time <laughs> since we've done a podcast. Um, Keep It 100 was uh, uh, was brought to life about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, maybe maybe a little bit longer. But then we took this long hiatus like starting in June of last year. Um, a lot of things happened, you know, and, and you start realizing when you get, you get really eager about starting new things and new projects and then, uh, the world kind of takes over and you don't realize what you got yourself into and stuff gets put on the back burner and podcast was one of those things. Um, and if you heard somebody laughing just a second ago, um, no, Bailey's voice did not drop two octaves, um, uh, I have our director of worship tech here with Spotswood Creative with me. Uh, Mr. Tyler Monroe. What's up? Man, I'm so glad you're here. Um, not a whole lot going on, I guess, other than we're doing a podcast together for the first time. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah, so I'm really glad you're here. Um, we do want to pick up um, with where we left off. We were talking about worship wars, and if you remember, the first worship war um, was uh, contemporary versus traditional worship. Uh, well, that's the first worship war that we talked about. Worship wars have been going on for millennia. Worship wars didn't just start with traditional and contemporary worship music practices. Um, but that's the one that most everyone's kind of familiar with in regards to our culture today and the church culture today. So that's worship war one that we started with, contemporary versus traditional worship. We broke it down. Uh, Bailey and I broke it down with uh, what is contemporary worship, what's traditional worship, what's the good, bad, and ugly of those, and how can we get out of that worship war. Um, and most churches, I think most churches in America are kind of out of that war at this point. Wouldn't you agree, Tyler? Yeah, um, I think a lot of churches even have the benefit of kind of starting, po not post-war, but like they just are able to not have to deal with uh, this whole debate because they're maybe a little bit newer of a church. But yeah, I think a lot of churches have kind of decided on what side of the line they are regarding that. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's, I think that with the church plant, uh, movement that ha that started about probably 15, 15 to 20 years ago, something like that. Now there, there are church plants everywhere. Mm -hmm. And instead of people dealing with the established church that's been around for a long time, they can just start their own church and right, yeah. and not deal with any sort of contemporary traditional stuff. It's just like, oh, this is a, this is who we are, and if you know, this is who we were created to be, and you know, we can't really change from what we've create what we were created to be. So, uh, which brings us to our topic today. Uh, we were talking about uh, worship war two, established church worship versus emerging church worship. Uh, the last episode you heard from us uh, was me and Bailey, which uh, we will we will have Bailey back on. For those that listen, don't worry, uh, we will have her back on. Uh, but we just want to bring Tyler on today. Uh, we with her we talked about the good, bad, and ugly of established church worship. Uh, just to remind some some of you, when we're talking about these terminologies, this terminology of established church and emerging church, when we talk about a, an established church, we're talking about a church that's been around for. You know, at least 40 years, you know, and it had time to establish its rhythms and, and what it does every single year. Um, and we call those traditions, right? We call those traditions. Uh, every church, every established church has traditions in some way, shape, or form that they are used to doing. Uh, when we talk about emerging church, what we're talking about is a church that is pretty new. A lot of people look at them as like a a big box church where the established church is like, you know, the church you drive by that has a steeple on the top of it and has been sitting in the same place yeah. for a long, long time. More ornate. Yeah, more ornate. Stained glass windows, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the emerging church is more of like your big box church. Um, Elevation Church is, a, is an emerging church. Hillsong Church is an emerging church. Um, uh, 
Harvest Bible Chapel is an emerging church. Um, it, and you walk into their building, it feels more like a cafe or it feels like a like a mall. Mm. Um, and uh, when you go in their auditorium, it feels more like an auditorium and less like a traditional church setting or a, a regular established church setting. So today, when we're talking about the emerging church, I want you to have that in mind um, as we discuss the topic at hand. What's good, bad, and ugly about the emerging church? Now, why I feel like it's really important that Tyler is here, uh, Tyler came from an emerging church to Spotswood. Um, his church started, I believe, as a church plant. Is that correct? Yeah. And, uh, well, it's not, not technically a church plant. And they planted, but they weren't like really a branch of anything. They definitely had, um, some backing support from different churches, but they were never a plant of a different church. They were always their own church from the start. They planted in 2005. Okay. So, um, so that church, if they were planted in 2005, that makes it less than 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so... Tyler, why don't you just tell me what um, what did it look like? The, the church you came from uh, was called Cross Cross Point, right? Center Point. Center Point. Center Point Church. Yep. Um, cross Point. Where did I get that from? I don't know where I got that from. But the Center cross, Point. Man. It's all about the cross. That's right. Um, Center Point Church. Uh, tell me what it was like at Center Point. Yeah. So um, I actually remember going to Center Point um, back in 2016, and I actually didn't want to um, visit it at first because it was. Um, it was operating out of a shopping center. There was literally, they had this three-store shopping center and they had both ends. And in the middle, there was a bird store, like a bird feed <laughs> store. So I didn't want to check this place out at first um, in Lexington. It kind of looked like a little hole in the wall. Yeah. Um, but we eventually checked it out. Um, definitely the things you notice about churches like this, it's a little bit of a younger um, demographic. Now, that doesn't mean people over their 60s didn't come. Sure. Um, it was just a smaller population. So younger demographic, especially younger families. Um once they got into their new building in, I want to say, 2018, um, we talk about the big box. They literally renovated a carpet warehouse. So okay. it literally was their auditorium, uh, their worship center was a literally a big box. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's the thing is it's still a church, you know. Yep. It, it's not it's not better. It's not less than the established church. It just looks different. Um, but the whole, the point is still the same. It's the worship of Jesus Christ. And so um, what you kind of notice with those uh, things is because you don't necessarily have uh, ingrained traditions, you get to start your own traditions. That, so center point, by the time I got done serving there, still definitely had traditions, um, but they were able to kind of create their own traditions. Um, when I left, the founding lead pastor was still there. So... They're able to create their traditions. Um, the main thing you notice, especially from uh, established to emerging church, is just a, definitely a different music style. Sure. Would you would you say um, a lot of times people think, oh, you know, it must be easier to be in an emerging church, you know, than being in an established church because established church you come with all these preconceived notions of what, how church should be and mm -hmm. what it should look like and what it shouldn't look like because for sixty plus years we've been doing things this way and. We're not changing anything. W would you say that being in an emerging church is easy then? Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's easy. I think trying new things is swallowed a little easier. Okay. But like I just said, as far as like traditions, you know, churches, even within 15 or so years, still establish their own traditions. They still establish their, their way of doing things. And let's be honest, the founding pastors came in with their preconceived notions, even if it wasn't necessarily attached to a body, a, a congregational body. Correct. So um, I would say trying and suggesting new things sometimes is swallowed a little easier. You maybe get a little bit less pushback from some people. Um, but So know, maybe more, maybe vocal about different things than what an established church is vocal about. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. I can buy that. For sure. So, okay, Tyler, then let's dive in um, like we did with previous um with with previous uh, discussions, what's good about the emerging church and its worship practices? Yeah, so you know, it, just being newer, it's got a, it, like we said, it has a tendency towards newer, more modern music. So a little bit more high energy for sure. Um, it's a little bit more, I guess I'd say, just calm, relaxing. Um, 
you know, it, it, it kind of tends to the, the, the newer believers or the people who never stepped a foot inside of a church before. Yep. Um, you know, you get into a nice, beautiful, ornate cathedral type style or, or just something with stained glass windows and nice trim everywhere. People kind of get intimidated by that. So you kind of do away with that just because it's a little bit more modern, sleek. Like why, why do you think people get intimidated by that? Um, it just, just uh, you know, <laughs> if we're being honest, people who haven't grown up in the church, they grow up with their stereotypes from media. Sure. So, you know, I was watching Daredevil a couple of days ago and, I, and you know, uh, it's, it's, there's a very Catholic element to it. And so you kind of, um, you don't know whether, how to filter those things if you've never experienced it before. So, sure. so sometimes you can see things that may be incorrect or maybe aren't uh, beneficial uh, biblically but that's really all that's the only lens you have to see it through so yeah i think i think we only have those stereotypes from media and just different sources and so you get into a building like that and and you just get stuck in a place where you know people think they have to come into the church clean when in reality jesus is who's who is what makes you clean Correct. so yeah so i that's think good. that's part of it for sure that's real good um well i think it's it's like, if you come into a church, I mean, let's just use our church, for example. Let's use Spotswood, for example. Um, if you have if you have only heard stories about the established church and the horrors that people have gone through, mm-hmm. but you've never been to one to experience whether you like it or not, um, you know, you, it's easy to look at a church like Spotswood that has these massive stained glass windows, big old steeple on top. Oh, you know, that's... That church has got to be like the church I saw in a movie one time that, mm-hmm. you know, they cast out that girl because she did, you know, sin A, B, and C. And and it's really easy to come up with you. It's really easy to lean into stereotypes with an established church. But with an emerging church, you're kind of given a, like, you're kind of given a pass because it's so brand new and it doesn't physically look like the established church. Well, and let's, let's take a step further. Not just the people who... Um not just the people who have no experience with church, but maybe some of the people who had a lot of experience with church as a child, but maybe it was a bad experience. Right. You know, if I haven't gone to church in 30 years, being in an established building is going to look familiar to what I experienced 30 30 years ago. Yes. Now, does that mean, does that mean having stained glass windows and having ornate structures and having a, uh, a little bit older looking um, auditorium or building is wrong? Absolutely not. But we've got to recognize that sometimes that that can be a factor. So uh, can I can I throw a um, let me throw a metaphor at you? Okay. Um, so a long time ago, I was tr- I was looking to buy a car. Okay, which is fun. Anybody that knows me, I've blown through so many cars. It's not even funny. I, I'm always looking at, at the newest car or whatever it is. I, I'm just fascinated with, new, with with different cars and whatnot. But um, at one time, at one point in time. I was I went to a GMC lot to look at an SUV. And at the time, you know, Chevy and Ford were like the two big American brands that everybody wanted, mm-hmm. which GMC I believe is in the same family as Chevy, but that's really neither here nor there, but like when I went on the lot, there's this older guy there who was selling the cars and I walked on and he said Hey, young feller, why don't you come over here? I'm, I'm going to put you in one of these here GMCs. And I said, okay. Well, I said, I do want to test drive some of your SUVs. Can we kind of test drive? Mm-hmm. And um, I get in the car, and this is like this is like 10 years ago. I get in the car, and I was already a little apprehensive about GMC because it just they just they the cars just didn't seem to be what their competitors had. It sure. was just, just kind of like, meh, you know? Mm-hmm. And we got in the car. And in my mind, I had this preconceived notion that it just wasn't going to be good. And the guy said, he said, you know what GMC stands for, right? I said, what? He goes, stands for give me a chance. <laughs> and you I really literally, said that? Yes, he said that. And I literally got out of the car immediately and started walking off. And he goes, what are you leaving for? I said, if you have to talk me into getting this car, I don't want it. <laughs> And in many ways, I feel like, and and so he's walking back to my car, my my actual car with me, because he's trying to keep me there on the lot. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, if you'll just give it a shot, you know, it's really not that bad. You know, they've changed a lot of things. They've had some technology, blah, 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 blah. And I mm-hmm. said, yeah, but I just feel like the car should speak for itself. 
Mm. And it shouldn't have to be, I shouldn't have to coerce somebody to come to it. Mm. You know? And he, he said, okay, well, hope you have a good day. And I got my car and left. I felt really, I, 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 I was pretty snarky about it and I probably shouldn't have been. I was much younger and much dumber. Um, I wasn't ordained at that point. I wasn't ordained at that point. <laughs> um, but I, when I think about that story, I think about the going back to the established church for just a moment. I think a lot of times we want people to just ignore the stereotypes and ignore the things that they've experienced or ignore the experiences of other people. Mm. And we say, just come and give my church a shot. It's going to be fine. Well, to get somebody to want to give your church a shot, to, to get them to the point where they're, there's got to be a lot of things that, that you prove that you're not as an established church. Where with the emerging church, they don't really have to prove that all that much. And, I, and I'll go back to the car analogy for just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember when, uh, when I was looking at those cars, I thought about um, what car did I... Oh, I, I ended up actually ended up at a Kia dealership. Mm-hmm. And... If you're not familiar with Kias in the United States, Kias haven't really been around that long in the United States. You know, 15 years is not that long in terms of selling cars in the United States. I, mm-hmm. I believe it's something like that. Like, they started coming out in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, man, these people, people were going and buying these cars up like it's nobody's business. <laughs> and you, if you actually sat in a Kia, especially when they first came out, man, you felt like you were ripped the door off the thing. It was so light, so flimsy. But people were buying them up, and it was because there was no stereotype attached to them. Mm. Meanwhile, GMC's over here struggling, getting the government to bail them out and all this other stuff, you know. And and here comes little Kia with a much worse car at the time. Now they're not. Now they're incredible vehicles. Mm-hmm. But at the time, much worse car, very cheap, um, and people were buying them up like they were going out of style. They they used to say uh, Kia stood for uh, keep it affordable. Yeah. So, so I kind of feel like <laughs> that's funny. Keep it affordable. I kind of feel like the church is in this in a similar boat when it comes to established church and when it comes to to emerging church. Very much the established church is very much like the G, like the GMC dealer in this situation, and Kia is like the emerging church. They aren't really doing anything special, honestly. They're just different. They got that fresh slate. They had the clean slate. So. With the, when we're talking about the emerging church and its worship practices, emerging church can say, start one Sunday and say, okay, y'all, this is what our worship's going to be forever and ever, amen. Okay, cool, that's how we start. Well, can we talk about this? Because we've always done No, we, we've never done it that way because we never started. We've no. started now. This is how we're going to do it. Okay, well, and if you're not interested in that, that's okay. Somebody else will be interested in that. So it's like there's this pass with the emerging church that they get that the established church just doesn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote down here in the notes that the um, in the emerging church, the music is always fascinating in some way, shape, or form. Um, I, I know very liturgical emerging churches. Mm-hmm. I have a buddy back in South Carolina. They have a liturgy that they follow every Sunday, and they have an acoustic guitar and a guy singing, and that's it for their worship team. But there's a very strong liturgy. Certain scriptures are read at certain times in the mm-hmm. service, and it's the exact same scripture. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of fascinating because who would have thought? Who would have thought an emerging church? Everybody has this image of it being like like elevation, like Life Point, or like whatever. You know, like they have that image in their head. But the music doesn't. It's as long as it's fascinating. It's not, and it's not established. It works mm. um, for them. Yeah. Um, something else I put here is pastors usually seem pretty approachable, like they kind of feel like an average Joe kind of person. Yeah, and that and that I, I was thinking about that. That might not even be, that might not even be the truth of one's more approachable than the other. But I mean, it's sometimes it, you know, we as humans we're kind of dumb. Let's be honest. Um, but sometimes it comes down to something as simple as the pastor is wearing jeans instead of a three piece suit. Right. Um. But yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I think they just for better or worse, kind of have a natural approachability to them. Sure. Um, uh, in regard to the musicians, uh, in the same, the exact same way of thinking, um, the musicians in an emerging church seem to feel more, um, or seem less professional and more relatable. Mm. 
like you look at them on the platform, you're like, that person is not that much different from me. But whereas you may go to an established church and you see like, you know, you see a guy up there directing. I mean, I'm using myself as an example. You get up there and I'm like this past Sunday, I was in a suit and tie, you know, for Easter Sunday. It, I, in that moment to some people, to a certain like demographic demographic of people, mm-hmm. I probably was like, oh, that's just Josh. But to another demographic of people, another age group of people, it may have been like, oh man, that guy, he's super, he's super connected. He's he he's probably got to be a mm-hmm. businessman too, and I mm-hmm. bet he's really successful. Man, he probably wouldn't be interested in talking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not the truth at all, whatsoever. No, hundred percent. I mean. Uh, with how cultures, I mean, that's partly why I have tattoos. I mean, one, I like, I like having tattoos. Let's just be honest. But, but that's, <laughs> that's part of why I have them is because we have to be a light to a dark world. And sometimes you get, you get those rougher people to be more open or, um, they're able to put their guard down when they see someone who looks like them right? as part of the body of Christ. Absolutely. Um, so maybe for a win, you know, something, uh, a tip of the hat that I think the established church could take from the emerging church is how can you make your platform more relatable? Mm. Um, one thing that we've been able to do that's super successful is we've been able to lower the average age of our orchestra on in the traditional service yeah. by like a decade and a half. Hundred percent by adding by adding high schoolers, college students, um, and young teachers on the platform. Um, uh, like I love, we we have a guy named Lucas, and he's just he's a cello player, and he's just killer good, and he's a teacher here in the area, and um, and and Lucas he comes to church, and and he he participates, he participates with a smile on his face when he's not playing, he sings, and he just seems so approachable, you know, and I think if we all establish church folks, if we can all just figure out how how can we make those wins happen for our for our stage. Um, I think that's a tip of the hat that we we uh, that we need to make to the emerging church because they they have figured that part out. Mm. Um, now I guess we need to dive into maybe the stickier stuff. And uh, I know a lot of people that listen to our podcast are are established church goers because they they go to our church. But mm-hmm. there's some that aren't. Um, it's going to be really easy in this part to get a little bit on our you know, established church, you know, semi-self-righteous horse. horse and just ride <laughs> it on home, you know. Uh, we start talking about the bad of the emerging church and the the ugly of the emerging church. So just remember, we have our struggles too. Mm-hmm. Um, go back and listen to the previous episode. You'll hear our struggles, and they are very real, and we are all working through them. So, Tyler, what's bad about the emerging church and its worship practices? Yeah, so we were talking about, you know, we're talking about the good is that we can be more relatable, um, not only to just younger Christians, but also people who may be outside of the church. But on the flip side of that, you can go the complete opposite direction Mm -hmm. and you can look too much like culture or too, you know, you you could be almost too relatable to where you kind of lose the sacredness of it. Absolutely. There's absolutely a fine line between, you know, being your self-righteous, super, uh, prideful church over here, and then on the other side being uh, the world with a Christian twist. Um, so we got we got to find that 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 middle ground. Um, on top of that, I mean, you, you got to be careful of this in any church, but it's super easy in an emerging church to let the performance of the music and the emotion of the music take over. Mm. As, a, as opposed to correct doctrine and theology and proper worship. Sure. It's super easy to get in the mix of that. Yeah, I mean, because part of the artistry of what you do in the emerging church, and, and this is starting to come into the established church too, part of the artistry of it is creating uh, lighting moments, creating... Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally my job. Yeah, it's literally t- <laughs> literally Tyler's job is to help us figure out how to get from moment to moment within within a service without having to hiccup. Um, so, you know, it's important that we don't make those about the feeling that people get from those moments as it is about, did they understand what, did they understand the feeling that they got and where that actually should be coming from? Is that coming from understanding the theology behind what you just sang or the scripture that was just read? 
or is it because man that ethereal pad is just so nice mm-hmm. and it swells there's some movement man it just makes me feel <laughs> like i'm floating and then there's these lights and they went blue and everything just got so relaxing 100 percent. you know we don't we don't we don't want that and i think the emerging church struggles with that a little bit well and, and is your worship not only not only confusing worship and emotion, but is your worship driven by your emotion? Right. So are you, do you get in situations where if you're not feeling super ooey gooey towards God, that you feel like you can't participate in congregational singing worship? Um, That's something that's very real and something, something to keep an eye on because those aren't the same thing. And at the end of the day, we could, we should be able to have a really sucky day and say, God, you're still God and you're still good. Yep. Now I that makes that makes it sound super easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but we should be able to participate in those moments even when it hurts because it's not based on how I feel that day. Sure. Well, and and to this point, um, I try my best to to not mention actual people's names, so I'm not going to mention this person's name. But we have somebody in our congregation that that came from from a, a fairly large emerging church, um, and this person specifically talked to me about one time that they um that you know coming here to Spotswood that it was the first time they had experienced worship I shouldn't say first time that's not fair it's it it was unique for them mm-hmm. to experience worship without all the the heavy production yeah and that the holy spirit moved and that's what that's what they got caught up in they got caught up in the holy spirit they didn't get caught up in an incredible lighting moment or an incredible audio moment or an incredible performance. They got caught up in, we're singing these words and I'm going through this struggle and it just means a ton to me that the Holy Spirit's walking with me through it because those lyrics are biblically sound. Those those lyrics literally came from the Bible mm. and 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 they were meant for me for the season that I'm in. And and this person was telling telling me that, that that that's just been very unique for them since they've been here that we don't necessarily need as a church this incredible incredibly produced thing mm. um now i'm not saying that that's the way it is always and this person also reiterated there may be a time when you need some of the production elements yeah. um and and so that's not to say that uh none of that matters at all um so don't don't you know don't throw the baby out with the bathwater there it's just something to think about um, one other thing, um, just kind of switching gears back to what's bad about uh, the emerging church and its worship practices. I probably will elaborate on this a little more um, just because I've had friends that work at very large emerging churches. And one of the complaints um, about a, about some of these very large emerging churches is that the people that go to those church those churches, they are so bought into what their church is doing and only their church is doing. They don't get bought into what the capital C church is doing as a mm-hmm. whole. It's almost like they that Jesus only died on the cross for the people at their church. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes across a little culty sometimes. Yeah. Um, which, if you actually do some real, like, real theological digging on Christianity and and where it came from and and uh, and Judaism and all this stuff that we that, that is in our history, that is in our past. Um, Christianity had like like this is kind of scary for some people, but it had cultic practices. Mm-hmm. When you talk about you know for you to have forgiveness of sins, you have to sacrifice the life of something else. That is technically by definition a cultic practice. Mm. So, you know, when the temple and the tabernacle were present and we were having to kill animals to, to atone for our sins, um, that is a, a cultic practice. So that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is moving, moving the church out of, out of that way of functioning and then recreating a cultic culture. Um, I mean, the root word of culture is cult. But creating this culture that is, um, this culture that that says, the way we worship and the way our worship leader does things, the way our pastor says, there there's nobody else that can mm-hmm. say it like them, and you know I I just question if they can really call themselves a pastor unless they're like pastor fill in the blank, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of scary. That's really bad because um, you have brothers and sisters. And other churches that are hardcore believers that would do anything for the gospel, 
but the way you have developed your culture at your church, it's almost like they don't matter unless they come to your church. Mm. So it's something the the emerging church needs to deal with, I think, um, and it's a bad look. Uh, they need to be a little more inclusive, I think, is what I'm saying with other other churches that aren't just like them. Yeah, I mean, I can, I and I can definitely see how that would happen from like a personal standpoint. I mean, you know, when I was at Centerpoint, you know, uh, Tim Parsons, who is now with the Lord, he he was um, the founding and lead pastor of that church and was a huge mentor for me, and I felt like I owed him the world. Um, and so I I can see like especially. If you go to uh, an emerging church, maybe it's even a larger emerging church, that, you know, if you're, maybe you're going through a really tough spot in your marriage and you're, you know, maybe on the brink of divorce, but maybe through some counseling um, at this church and just um, some uh, relationships in the community you build at this church, maybe um, through that and, you know, obviously through the help of the Holy Spirit and, and God working in your life. Maybe married, maybe your marriage is saved, and so you feel like you have not only a lot of buy-in, but also you just you, you almost feel indebted. Mm. Um, so I I could definitely see something like that happen. Uh, again, you know I'm always a, a fine line person. There's a fine line between um, something that's unhealthy on one side and unhealthy on the other side, and, and somewhere in the middle is that healthy ground. Yeah. Um, you know you were talking about that you mentioned, uh, or you specifically said that it was like cultish. Uh, I think sometimes we we overanalyze things. Yes. Um, I remember, um, and I, I still think it's a little weird, but there was a larger church in the Lexington area. I don't even remember the name of the church specifically, but I remember looking at their website, and they don't talk about church membership. They call it church ownership. And if I remember correctly, they're almost like basically some country club dues in there, um, which mm. is real interesting. And, that, and the, that's... that. Churches do that, and that's where I think a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's that a phase. scary. That's that's kind of like the whole, you know, the the American consumerism mm. stuff that's happening in the church today. Like people not talking about members, which member even members is is kind of a weird thing. When you, you know, now that I think about it, it's like it's almost like oh, this is a country club. I'm a member yeah. of a club. Um, you know the, but in terms of ownership, you, you don't own the church. You are a, you're a part of the yeah. church. God, you are God's church. You 100%. are his his bride. Um, another church I heard used very similar terminology, and they said investors. Okay. And my my issue with that is is like, well, with an investment, when you make an investment, you expect a return. Mm. And if I'm that's that's trickling into that prosperity. Yeah. Thing. Uh, prosperity gospel. Yeah, well, it, it trickles into prosperity gospel, but it also trickles into it's about it, when I give something to the Lord, I don't just freely give it to him. I expect him to do something for me in return. Yeah, Jesus' Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough for us. Right. It wasn't good enough. Yeah, I, I expect him, you know, I expect the music to be the way that I want it to be because I give my tithe. Mm. I expect the pastor to preach on the things I want him to preach on because I give a tithe. Um, I invested in you. You should you should give me something in return, and that's not healthy. That's not Jesus's death on the cross was not an investment in humanity. It was a gift to humanity. Mm, that'll preach. It was a. It was something. It and and when I say gift, it was it was something given out of mercy. Like it's not something he gave us something we didn't deserve, right? Mm. Um, or he did not give us what we did deserve, and he gave us what we didn't deserve. Yes. And when you look at it through that lens, you there just should be nothing but gratefulness. Like you should not come to a worship service or a church event with, okay, what am I going to get out of this? It's I'm coming to this to minister to the God of all creation that saved me, and mm. I don't deserve to even be in His presence, but He allows me to be. Um, so the long and short of is it, it is. Don't overanalyze things that don't need to be overanalyzed, but yes. be careful about yes those, those situations we just talked about. Absolutely. So, all right, now let's get to the really, really dirty stuff here. Um, Tyler, what's the ugly about the emerging church and its worship practices? Yeah, so you kind of touched on it earlier, but, you know, um, you know, we're talking about liturgy. When, when sometimes we think that established churches just repeat things just to hear themselves repeat themselves, um, and they might be repetitive for repetitive repetitiveness's sake. Um, 
but then on the on the flip side, you got churches that don't have any sort of liturgy or any sort of sort of like maybe call and response type thing. Right. And so you kind of you kind of lose the beauty of that. Um, and then they just they if they abandon that sort of uh, repetitive liturgy, they definitely um, they definitely put it in their worship songs now. Right. Where every you know every bridge the joke is that you you do the second chorus and then you do the bridge twelve times. Right. And then the chorus and then maybe the bridge four more times. Well, I think I think there's something to be said of people need. Pe- re- repetition, uh, I don't want to say breeds comfort. That's not that's not it. It's definitely a learning device. Right. It's something, it's a reminding device. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're coming up on Christmas this year. Well, it's not Christmas. Let's use Easter. Easter is a better example. We just came out of Easter. Well, building up to Easter, it's like, okay, we're coming up to Easter. We should all be shifting our minds to think about what Jesus did in the sacrifice on the cross. Mm-hmm. But if you are, if you don't, if you don't realize the rhythm of what's happening to you building up to Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday may blow past your congregation and the cross is now diminished mm. because there was no rhythm. There was no anything preparing them for Easter Sunday. Mm. Um, that rhythm helps them think and move and and grow. And so there, there's something to be said of having some repetition in what you do. And sometimes the emerging church just deletes repetition altogether because they want the newest, best, whatever. Yeah. Um, the the emerging church is quick to move on to new things or the or the next thing. Which leads me to my next one. Mm. Okay. Very rarely are older worship leaders present on the platform yeah. um at a at at emerging churches. Um it always seems like there's this round robin of who's the newest, prettiest, modeliest worship leader. Mm-hmm. And what's wild is like some of these people, some of them are fantastic vocalists and singers, but like I've looked at some massive churches um, and you look at their platform and it's nothing but beautiful people. And some of them, they're called to be worship leaders, but they really aren't good worship leaders. They're just easy to look at. Mm. And to me, that is scary. Yeah. We're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. Like I I think about a guy like, like Michael W. Smith. I'm going to use him as an example. Mm -hmm. Bro would not be caught dead on some of these big old massive emerging church stages today. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he's in his fifties or sixty, he may even be in his sixties now. I don't know, but yeah. like this guy, I mean, you know, Michael W. Smith isn't isn't my favorite, you know, Christian artist or worship artist out there, but he's not my least favorite, and he's definitely talented and more than capable, mm-hmm. more than capable of leading worship. But there are some of these churches that wouldn't give him the time of day if he was like, "Hey, I'd love to come serve at your church." No, we've got our team. We've got our image. We've got our brand. And that just scares the heck out of me, man. It just scares me to death. Yeah. I um, mean, these churches that do that. You and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago where I said that, you know, eventually I want to be the main worship pastor somewhere. But, you know, I don't I don't personally foresee myself being a lead pastor ever. Now, does that mean that'll never change? No. But I don't at this point in time ever see myself being the lead preaching pastor. So with, with this, the ugly portion of the emergent church in mind, what does that mean when I turn 55? Does, does that mean, yeah. Do they move me on out or, or do I, do I get to continue to be a worship pastor at age? Cause it's not retiring age. Right. So yeah, that is kind of a scary thing to think about. Well, and that, that um, just to kind of touch on that as well. So I, I'm a part of this group called Metro two, um, in the in the Southern Baptist Church world, there are these there's this, these conferences called Metro conferences, and in the worship part of the Metro conference, there's Metro One, which is like churches that run more than three thousand on Sunday. Metro Two is like eight hundred to to two thousand nine hundred ninety nine mm-hmm. you know people showed up on Sunday, and then Metro Three is anything that is under eight hundred. Okay, um, I'm a part of Metro Two. Spotswood we run around a thousand to twelve hundred on Sunday morning, depending on the Sunday. Um, but you know, one of the most refreshing things I walked into that room, Tyler, and I look nothing like I, I look that vastly different than almost all the worship pastors like in younger there. or yeah, just, younger. Like I walked in, I had my, you know, 5950 hat on, you know, and had my skinny jeans on and my Jordans and I walk in there and sit down next to a guy who's clearly in his late sixties, early seventies. Mm-hmm. 
And that guy put his arm around me and said, I am so glad you're here. Mm. And he's like, this is, he's like, this is my 40th Metro conference. Dang, man. Good for you. And he said, I come to these things and every year I grow and get a little bit better. And I change something that I've changed something in my ministry that I'm, there are guys out there and and girls out there that are more than capable of doing those kinds of things at an older age, just because Mm -hmm. you reach the age of, you said 55. I thought you were being incredibly gracious. It, just because you reached the age of like 45. It's because I'm green already. That's it. Yeah, it's in your business. Oh, your but yours, you're saying 45. So. Yeah. So, like, just because you reach that age doesn't mean you're not capable anymore. And what are we saying? Like, these are the guys that have experienced the stuff. They're the ones that have dealt with dealt with the difficult situations of, uh, of ministry that yeah, most mature pastorally. Yeah. And we're, and hopefully. we're, and we're shucking them off for some 20 year old that, that, just learned how to play guitar two years ago. And looks good in skinny jeans. And looks good in skinny jeans and has, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram. Mm. Like, that, that's not the move. Like, that's that's not it. They're, they they don't have the wisdom, you know. And, and I don't, I, there are things I don't think I have the wisdom about. That's why I go to Drew. I'll call him up and say, hey, man, I need help on figuring out this situation. What do I do? Do A, B, and C, and that'll work. Okay. I And, all, and A, B, and C were nothing like what I was thinking about doing. Mm. Um, so something to be thinking, something to think about for the emerging church. You gotta gotta quit getting rid of people, which leads us to our last one. Uh, rumors of when the emerging church is done with you, they're just completely done with you. Um, I've had friends that have worked very hard for for larger emerging churches, and when the emerging church was ready to shift their brand, they just cast them out. Like so, this it, is from an employee standpoint. Oh yeah. Okay. Like it was like a like okay, you got two weeks. What? Yeah, you got two weeks. We're, we're ready to shift. I had a buddy that was at a church. Um, I think it was down in Georgia, and um, he was at a, I believe it was a, an emerging style, sounds weird, an emerging style established church. Like they had shifted from being an established church to an emerging church. Mm-hmm. Like they moved out of the big pretty building and moved into more of a box, you know. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a consulting firm. They brought in a consulting firm, and... The consulting firm said, "Hey, since we've gone through COVID, we're, you know, we're getting rid of. Uh, we think you should get rid of everything the way you used to do before COVID, and you need to put your focus, all your eggs, in the basket of live stream. And you need to get rid of the choir. You need to get rid of an orchestra. You need to get rid of everything. All those people need to go away, and you need to focus on paying a few people a lot of money, and stop spending all your money on that, and focus on this and." If your worship pastor can't get on board with that, then he's got to go. Mm. And so that guy had like a few weeks to look for a job. Dang, man. And it makes no sense. Like that is, this. you're talking about somebody who's come and developed relationships, built people up, developed relation, uh, worship, worship leaders over a long period of time, mm-hmm. and just at the snap of a finger, okay, we're, it's, it's too business-like. Yeah. It's too like, um, th- this is not Apple. You are not Apple. You are not... Um, <laughs> Like I, I'm gonna use a gas station around. You're not Wawa, you know. <laughs> like <laughs> you can't, you can't make a decision like that, um, just solely based off consumerism. Yeah, you, that, you just can't. They're trying to make it too black and white. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm super grateful for our executive pastor, uh, Dan Cook. I mean, I would have a hard time seeing him doing that because because even since I, I've been here just a little over a year at this point, he's been super relational. Um, which is funny because he's introverted, but he's been always been super relational, and I'd have a hard time seeing him do that. But I mean, I think that's why a lot of bigger churches have have executive pastors. That you know, the church staff wants someone who can make those calls a little bit, I guess, from a more pragmatic standpoint, and uh, just kind of bite the bullet and you know, kill people <laughs> figuratively. <laughs> well, and 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 don't get me wrong, there are business decisions that have to be made in a church. Yeah, it. it Especially if the church is running more than five hundred people, like there are decisions that are, that have to be a little more be be a little more pragmatic. But literally shifting, like kick, essentially kicking people out of your church so you can change the change the brand, and yeah. it's just all about selling a brand. Well, your your brand's Jesus. Yeah. Like your brand is grace and mercy, and you showed none of that. You know. 
uh, you showed you showed it's all about you and moving moving forward in the direction that you feel like it should go mm-hmm. um, without caring for the people that are literally sitting in the seats in your auditorium. It just blows me away that that's a thing. So yeah, um, emerging church, be careful. Don't fall into that trap um, because you're gonna you're gonna hurt people and maybe turn them away from the gospel. Period. Yeah, and not and not just you know. And that not in the, uh, not just in that case where you fire someone, but you know, think like you said, think of all the relationships they built over up over time. You know how that's going to hurt all those people on, that are involved with that. Yeah, it's just it's just wild to me. Yeah. All of that is wild to me. So, anyway, at this point in time in our um, in our podcast, we typically go to a, a part called Yay, Nay, or Pray. Okay, Yay, Nay, or Pray. Um, so I'm going to shoot from the hip for a second, Tyler. Go for um, it. I'm going to pick a song from, um, let's see, what album do we want to go with? All right, uh, let's go with, well, we've, we've, done this, we've done this song at our church, so obviously it's a yay. Tell me what your thoughts are about Gyra. Gyra, okay. So uh, lyrically very good. Uh, I would agree with it. Um, actually, it was um, for me as a spark of learning of something in the Bible. Um, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was a name of God that I never, literally, never knew before until the song came out. So I, I appreciate of it for that. Uh, from that standpoint, do I think any worship song should be ten minutes or longer? Personally, no. <laughs> you mean you don't like the the. 41 minute long version yeah, on so, old church basement. And and don't get me wrong, uh, y'all, but but God God is more than deserving of more than 10 minutes of praise. Um, but it's hard for me to participate in it for that long. Um but yeah, I th- I think it's I personally think it's a great song lyrically. Um I I would caution people initially just that there are several different melody parts to it, mm-hmm. you know, more than the typical song, I would say. If sure. I, so um, don't expect your congregation to learn it super quickly. Now, we did have the benefit of radio play a lot of the time, so people were able to catch on to it. But um, I think that's a song that if you're going to do it, do it um, consistently enough that people can eventually latch on to it. Absolutely. Um. Uh, so would you agree that it's a yay? Like it's a song that you could do in your church? I definitely would not say nay. Yeah. And I don't even think you need it. There's nothing to pray about. You just, uh, it, it's more logistics. Yeah. Um, can you pull it off kind of thing? Yeah. Can you, yeah. That's, that's something to consider. Yeah. Because I mean, there are people, when you look at these, um, when you look at the artists that are pulling it, some of these, some of the folks in Maverick City are just beyond incredible vocalists. And some of the stuff that they write is just hard to sing. Um, but I, I do think that the song is functional in a church. That's not a problem. Um, I, I did have a question just last week, and I want to address it on the podcast quickly um, uh, because I know there have been people who have questioned, oh, you know, if it's a, if it's attached to, I'm not going to say a church name because I don't want to create animosity between us and other, other mm-hmm. believers, but if it's attached to church A and the pastor of this church is, you know, we don't agree with them theologically on everything. Should we be doing their music? Um, some of you have brought up, I, I, I feel okay talking about this one because there's probably no church connection with us here, but, um, you know, some, some of you have brought up the uh, Hillsong, uh, the Hillsong documentary that just came out and all the stuff that happened with Brian Houston and his family and everything. Um, should we be doing any songs written by Hillsong? Um I I feel very comfortable with saying the songs that we choose to do, we choose because the lyrics are biblically sound and theologically sound. Mm. Every single person that writes a song is a sinner, and they will mess up at some point. David had an affair. David murdered someone. We didn't pull his psalms out of the Bible. Um, he was the example. Yeah, he was the example of, of how this works. So um, I, I caution anyone from saying, oh, I'm not going to use this song because this is associated with this person and they did this. Well, that's cancel culture. 
And if that's the case, we'd be doing nothing but canceling every single thing that every one of us say. You you wouldn't even be allowed to share the gospel because mm. you're a sinner and you messed up. You know, you may have, you know, lied to somebody about some something. You may have looked at pornography. You may have uh, stolen something from someone. You may have talked poorly about somebody behind their back. Well, because that sin, does that mean that your testimony is discredited? No, because of what Jesus did, you can use those moments to say, hey, he got me out of that. Mm. So I just want to caution everybody before we go on some giant witch hunt for for some some worship songs, remember one of the main authors of Psalms, of the book of Psalms, was a murderer and got caught in adultery. Mm. And even worse, he murdered the husband of the woman he was having adultery with. So double whammy. It was a double whammy, and you don't see us plucking his psalms out of the out of the book of Psalms because or 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 taking anything out of first and second Samuel because it talks about King David. Just hold on, take a breath, and let's just look at the lyrics and let's let the lyrics speak for themselves. And if there's something to question the lyrics, then we got something to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, ironically in my in my current seminary class, I'm uh, writing, I have to write a sermon based on Philippians one and Philippians one, um, is one of the, or Philippians is one of the letters that Paul wrote from prison. Um, and it actually is, ties in really well to this. Um, starting in chapter one, verse 15, it says some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And this, this is the verse I want to key on, uh, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes. Literally the answer everyone needs. Just proclaim Christ, take a breath, chill out. I know that sounds kind of abrasive. Songs can't sin against you. Yes, exactly. Breathe. Okay. So I just I just want to address that. I feel like that is something that we we all need to take a step back. Cooler heads and reasonable heads need to prevail, especially when one of our brothers or sisters falls that is seen in a great light. If anything, we could we should become more caring and more uh more shepherding in those moments and not accusatory and you know dogmatic and my my way or the highway or you know all those things we, we need to stay away from that so great yay nay or pray uh gyra go listen to it old church basement we love we love those folks they're fantastic worship leaders um and we look forward to hearing more from them so tyler how you feel about your first podcast man let's do it again i can't wait so i guess uh for now Tyler, I'm, I'm going to let you do it. Oh, no. Don't put me on the spot like this. Do I'm it. blanking so hard. What's the title of the podcast? Oh, Keep It 100. There you go. <laughs> Keep yeah. It 100, y'all. 